Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith. He's Derek Terry. Derek, how are you? Doing well, Sean. How are you? Doing well, Derek. Uh, we're going to hit a little bit of both in this episode. We're going to talk a little UK basketball with the upcoming road trip to Notre Dame this weekend, a trip that you're making. Uh, I will not be there, but then we're going to hand out some superlatives for the Kentucky football season, uh, some stuff that I know we've been discussing for the last week or so, and I know you've written uh, some stuff about uh, some season awards and superlatives, but uh, we're going to talk about them on this show today. Yeah, for sure. Starting off with basketball, uh, Sean, I, I got the sense the other night that this team is just ready to move on and play some real teams. <laughs> I don't know if you got that sense or not. I've had that sense for, for a while, honestly. Uh, you, me and you talked downstairs after the game, and you said just that. And I agree with you. I, I think it was good to have the tune-up games, considering what they had gone through last year and the way the non-conference schedule went. I mean, what, it was like one and six after mm -hmm. the Louisville game last year. Uh, you definitely take the opposite of that. Now seven and one, heading into a tough stretch. I mean, there, there are no easy games remaining. I know they play high point at Rupp Arena in, in late December, but for the most part of the schedule, it's going to be teams that they're going to square off against that can beat them if they don't play well or if foul trouble becomes too big of a thing. And, and I, I'm, I'm ready for it to flip. They're ready for it to flip. And the reason I tell you I'm ready for it to flip, it's, it's kind of you want to write about something different right now. You want to actually see what this team's made of, and you're going to find out over the course of the next two weeks and then into January. Yeah. Like you're talking about with the schedule, going off Ken Palm, high point is 255, which, you know, Ken Palm, it changes daily. Um, but high point's 255. And then in the conference, Missouri, uh, Georgia, and South Carolina are all teams that are currently out of the top 100. So every other team besides that, I know most of his opponents will be top 50. But, Sean, there are 358 NCAA Division One basketball teams. Kentucky's strength of schedule right now is 350. And that's including playing a top 10 team in Duke. And honestly, an Ohio team, that's not bad. I mean, they're going to hover probably right around the top 100 uh, with a good season. So Robert Morris, Mount St. Mary's, Albany, and Central Michigan were all in the 300. So, you know, like you said, I get it. These are tune-up games. you got to have them. But th this, this was – I mean, I think just mostly having all these games in a row is probably what made it so bad because, you know, if they would have played Notre Dame last week or something – then went back to play three straight, you know, bad games, and maybe it would have been different. But, no, Notre Dame, Sean, a team that beat Kentucky last season, like most teams. Uh, but they're they're kind of reeling right now, and it's still early in the year. This was supposed to be a better team. I can remember there were kind of rumors out of South Bend last year that maybe Mike Bray would hang it up, maybe. Uh, but, no, he said he wanted to come back. He thought he had a good team this year, but they're three and four. And the, the three wins, you know, are not good. Cal State Northridge is 291 in Ken Palm. High point, of course, like I just mentioned with Tubby, 255. And then they beat Chaminade um, out, out there in Maui in Vegas this year, who, of course, you know, is not even a Division One team. But their losses haven't really been that bad outside of one. They, they're coming off of a loss to Boston College on December 3rd. Boston College is 115. Not, not a good loss there. Uh, but in A&M, too. Uh, A&M is a little better than what I expected, given what they lost last year. But, you know, got a good coach out there, but they're 62. And then those other two losses, St. Mary's and Illinois, two pretty good teams. Um, but, Sean, I guess what I would say to you is I, I, this feels like, you know, the first time Kentucky's played a, a power five or high major opponent, whatever you want to call them, 
since the season opener. So first true road game, though, how, how are you kind of expecting this one to go? I really don't know. I was actually thinking about that this morning, that this team hasn't been on the road. They've not been in that environment where everyone's against them. And, and you know, Notre Dame is going to be all out. Like it's, I mean, every time, like I think the last time Kentucky went there was the Nerlens Noel year. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think they've been there since then. And it was a crazy environment. You know, it's going to be a big recruiting weekend for them and, and everything with, with football. And now they've, they've got, they've got a new football coach They're Kentucky's coming to town. Like John Calipari said the other night, but I was sitting here thinking it's hard to believe it's been a month since that Duke game. And they, we don't really know what this team is right now, Derek. We know that they've kind of struggled their way through some of these non-conference games. They've looked sluggish at times. They've turned it on at times. Uh, will they shoot the ball well? I think to this point, this team has kind of had some games where you're like, why are some of these guys shooting so poorly? Like, a, you know, a Dante Allen who's in a slump right now shooting the ball compared to what he had, he'd done throughout his time at Kentucky. I, I'm interested to see who rises to the occasion and who kind of folds. I, I think, you know, Cal's talked about the rotation and how he wants to get it set. The next two games, I think he will get it set. I think he'll know come Louisville who his rotation is. And this, this could be the last time you see some guys get on the floor for a while. I agree with you. It's time. I mean, these games coming up, you're about to go, well, Notre Dame and Ohio State, they're spread out by a week. And then Louisville's December 22nd, so a shorter turnaround for that game. But then you don't play again until – uh, the 29th against Missouri, and then 31st against High Point, and then it's conference play the rest of the way, except for the Kansas game on January 29th. So I'm with you. I think um, I'm not even going to bother trying to predict who, who the rotation might be. But one number I want to mention, and I'll be curious to see how this changes throughout the year. And this – we probably don't have time today. I know you're a little short on time. We don't really have time probably to really discuss this in depth. But one number when I'm looking here on Ken Palmstrom that's just glaring to me Three-point attempts, this is this is under the style components. UK is 338th nationally in three-point attempts. Surprising, surprising with the roster, right? Like, I, I think we thought they would take more. Um, I'd yeah, like so to see them. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Just, just some more context. On the three-pointer in terms of point distribution – only 22% of the points are coming from three, which is 333, uh, 333rd nationally. So very good at two-pointers, though. 63% of their uh, points are coming from two, and that's fifth nationally. So, yeah, just what do you make of that? Because the whole offseason, it was like, man, you got all these guards, you're going to be able to shoot the ball. And that's very obvious that, you know, the majority of their points are, are not coming from three. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it, too, is kind of just finding their rhythm. Uh, with what they want to do, they, I mean, they've had so many guys out, whether sick, whether hurt. I mean, Bryce Hopkins yeah. was out the other night. And they, I mean, they just, they can't get their full roster. And I think it's kind of hurt some things chemistry wise. We know that, that Cal is pushing this Keon Brooks 15 footer, this mid range jumper uh, that he has been good at this year. We know that that's being pushed at that four spot more so than taking the three. Uh, but I would like to see that number get to above 30%. Like, I'd like to see them get to a point to where they're getting 30% of their points from the three-point line. I, I don't want to say that – I don't want to get up to be 40 or 50 because then I think mm -hmm. you're getting to a point where you're taking too many. But I'd love to see that number get to 30. If they could get to 30%, 31% of their points from three, because they've got capable shooters on this team. Uh, you know, Tata's going to get going at some point and, and consistent. I mean, where he's going to have a big game and hit four or five and 
uh, Kellen Grady, we've had, we've seen what he can do. You, you know, if Dante keeps getting minutes at some point, he's going to have a night where he hits four or five threes. Uh, but I don't know, like it's, it has been surprising and I, I want to see how that plays out and what it looks like after the next three, you know, to have, what's their record after Louisville because they, they really need all three of these. Really a fair point for sure on just how kind of in flux things have been also fair to point out. I don't remember the game, excuse me because they all run together but UK also went like two for 19 from three in one of the games I think it was the one prior to Central Michigan maybe I think so yeah I think it was yeah. Tony Barber's well, guys and and we talked about this you know we, you were talking about the schedule in the opening uh Cal tries to do this thing every offseason where he brings people back or uh, like the Unity Series you know Sean Woods having Southern Reparation which was arguably one of the better teams that they played in the non-conference uh, I thought, and then uh, yeah. you bring in you bring in Tony Barbie, you know that was a bring him back help help Central Michigan out type of game, and things. Uh, I just I just wonder how much after last year, if this non conference schedule will ever change, if will ever or if it will always be like this. I just kind of feel like Cal saw the value in it last year when he I mean he played a tough non conference schedule last year for sure uh, at Rupp Arena, and I just kind of look I just think he looks at this thing now and said look. Is it going to make a difference in where we're seated in the NCAA tournament? If they're good in the SEC and they can split these games, like when they play the Dukes, the Kansas, the Louisvilles, if they can get three or four or five of those games like they would in a normal year, then it doesn't really impact where they are seating-wise. I'm just wondering if he looked at that after last year and was like, it's more important for us to to not play tough. Can you imagine, though, if they had if they would have played tough, as banged up as they've been, what would their record be right now Yeah, if they'd have had a similar point. schedule? But it, but it has been very boring. I will say that for someone who writes and covers the team, and I think you'd agree, oh, yeah. it has been boring. Like the storylines and stuff have been there. They've created themselves. But, like, we we don't really know anything about this group, Derek. Are they good or are they not good? We really don't know. There have been many instances and in, sometimes in the same game where I felt like they weren't that great and I felt like they had a chance to be really good. So yeah. uh, you're right about that. Anything else you want to add about Notre Dame before we flip over to football? It's a game that they need, uh, it's a, in my opinion. You, you can't go lose this one. You need to get a true road win under your belt uh, because we know they're going to get a – now that the crowds are back, the SEC schedule is going to be a gauntlet for this team. Mm-hmm. They're going to go to a lot of ranked teams. Uh, LSU moved into the poll. They're going to be going to LSU right off the bat in SEC play. Uh, Tennessee, we know all those, all those places are going to be tough. But K- Kentucky, I don't think we really know Kentucky's issues yet. And I think that we'll start to see what they're really good at. And I think we'll start to see what they're really bad at over the next couple of weeks. But you know what, Derek? There's quite a few teams in the SEC that have some problems as well. Uh, Florida obviously losing the other night. Tennessee was a mess offensively Uh, the other night against Texas Tech. They have their issues. Uh, Let's mid-January, we're going to kind of know what this thing's going to look like. But to me, it starts Saturday. First true road environment in a Power 5 environment against Notre Dame and can Kentucky come out with a win? Uh, what happens if Oscar Sheboy gets in foul trouble? Like, where do the minutes go? Does Lance Ware continue to get opportunities, or do they go somewhere else? I, I think some of those questions that we've been waiting on to get answered, I think they start to get answered this Saturday. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I'm looking forward to it. Really great point about Sheboy because it's going to happen in games this year. But how? And now that Toppin's back, I thought they did some interesting things the other night. I don't know how well it will work against physical teams, but I thought Toppin and Collins in the post was an interesting one. Something, I mean, you got a lot of athleticism when that's going on. 
still, you know, don't have that physical force like Sheboy, but it might be something you see Cal go to for a few minutes. You can see a lot of good in Damian Collins, can't you? Like there's there's some things that he does that whenever he can get – if he can get some weight on his frame over the course of his career, and and you know that'll happen. Like he's never going to be like a bulky guy, but he's going to get stronger. He's going to get more comfortable. I see things that I really like when I watch him. Yeah, I agree with you there. He He's going to have games, I think, where – the potential really flashes, and then I think he'll have games where he just – Cal might not even play him very much because of he might struggle a little bit with the physicality, things like that. But his his trajectory is one to watch. So, Sean, let's flip over to football here. Um, wanted to do this strictly for the regular season. Like you said, I did write about this yesterday. Um, just some season superlatives. I did it at the midway point of the season, changed a few things here and there. Um, but we just got six or so. Uh, little things right here that we want to talk about just to revisit because you know with the bowl I mean Sean Kentucky had a couple injuries against Louisville like we haven't really gotten an update on Pascal or or Cummings um so far there haven't been any opt-outs but you know that's always a thing to watch these days with the bowl so just wanted to do this without really taking into account um what might happen in this Iowa game so let's start at the top we'll go through these might have similar ones for for some of these but Definitely. I wanted to get your opinion on it. So let's start off with the best offensive player this season or, or the offensive MVP, however you want to phrase it, just the guy that you think uh, was kind of the key to the offense. Oh, man, it's it's hard to go anywhere, in my opinion, other than Wandale. I just think that, that Wandale was just a game changer. Uh, he showed up every single game. Honestly, Derek, we know the South Carolina game, he was banged up going into it. He still came up with some big plays there. I, I, I go Wandale player player of the year offensively but I, I put Will Levis a close second because I, I think those two go hand in hand honestly yeah my kind of my rationalization for Wandell and again like you said Wandell or uh, Levis plays a role in this but anytime a guy sets a single season record you kind of gotta it's hard to yeah. look anywhere else and I think uh I mean Chris Rodriguez had an all-SEC type year too at running back yeah. so uh he was in the running as well so let's flip over to defense. I thought this one was easier than offense. I mean, Josh Pascal, by 24-7 sports, the side I work for, a second-team All-American. Not not all SEC, second-team All-American. I, I thought Pascal was just great this season, and I really hope for his sake that he is healthy enough to play one more game for Kentucky. He, he was incredible. Just uh, the game-changing plays. I, I remember the Florida game. Uh, not only the blocked field goal, but some of the tackles that he made on third down that Kentucky's defense was able to get off the field. Uh, just just an unbelievable year, an unbelievable career, honestly. And the, the story with that kid and that young man is he, as he goes throughout, like he every time he comes back, it's going to be a large, a large and loud roar at Kroger Field every time that they name that they announce his name. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. 
hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Yeah, also the star of one of the best NIL videos I've seen yet uh, for the dentist. So uh, that one went around the internet. Uh, let me ask you this, because I think this is a little bit tougher by the accolades, maybe not tough, but just in general, in terms of impact, who would you have number two on defense as the most valuable? I was thinking that a minute ago, because I was like, who would I go with number two? Uh, man. Corker, maybe. I mean, Corker was a well, finalist for one of the national awards. And I was like, man, I, I, was, I mean, he had a decent year. I didn't think it was like that great of a year, though. No, I almost was going to say no one in the secondary. I was kind of going to go with a, a different route, and honestly, probably like a JJ Weaver yeah. or someone. Uh, man, if Marquand hadn't got hurt, I, I mean, I thought his impact. I think you saw it when he was out as well. Just was tremendous. Uh, I don't know, like, yeah, I mean, Corker's sneaky. St- I mean, their st- stats are good, but like, I don't know if you could really pick anyone in the secondary. Who who would you go with close second? I think Weaver, one, with the context. I mean, one, he led the team in interceptions, which is probably not great. Uh, But, I mean, it's good for him, but probably not great for your team in general that a jack linebacker. uh, No, not when you've had secondary issues. Yeah. Yeah. But when you put the context of J.J. coming back off an injury and playing as well and won as many snaps, too, uh, as what he did. I mean, I think when you put it in that context, he would probably be next for me. I thought Jacquez Jones had a good year, but maybe not, you know, not like in a sense of, I don't think anyone was really that close to pass. I think it was pretty clear on that one. So uh, I've kind of put you on the spot here. I don't know if you checked your taxes. I forgot to send you this one, but um, I did most improved. And this one was tricky Mm -hmm. because you could kind of put a stipulation on it if you really wanted to and, and put it solely for guys who played for Kentucky in 2020. I didn't do it that way. I did it, and I chose Will Levis just because you look at his kind of rise from backup quarter, like backup Wildcat QB basically at Penn State, didn't even really throw the ball uh, for the Nittany Lions, to come to UK to throw for over 2,500 yards, pass for more touchdowns than anyone uh, in the Stoops era, going all the way back to 2010 with Mike Hartline. Um, I saw the Athletic today had him as the seventh-best quarterback prospect right now when you talk about that kind of rise that he's had I think it's hard to put anyone else besides him as the most improved in terms of their career from year to year yeah I would I would go there as well too just from from stat purposes and what he was and what he is now I'll I'll go another one and I don't even know if you can really throw him in the improved category but I thought done some good things for Kentucky was Ali I think Josh Ali did some good things I'd even throw an Isaiah Cummings in there as well uh, but that would be more of a, I guess, of a breakout guy than more anything because he didn't – I mean, he didn't play a ton. But uh, Will Levis was the right pick there for sure. He did put me on the spot there with that I one. Did. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I didn't know if you checked your messages. Uh, no, I didn't how about, see it. Let's go with game of the year. What did you think was the best game Kentucky played in this season? Uh, Florida. I'll go Florida. Uh I would have said Tennessee because if they, if they had won that one, it was just a crazy game. But Florida, because of the environment, the 
game changing mo- momentum shifting plays and then just the crowd like that that I think it has to be Florida yeah I agree with you there um I did it a little differently in the story I kind of went with the game that UK played its best and I think there's probably a tie oh well actually yeah depends on how you want to look at it because I think there's an argument for Louisville just because of how how lopsided yeah. that game got. But I really felt like LSU was really a great statement game for them because it was after that Florida game, like you were talking about. For my money, that was – I mean, I think that was as bad as fans have ever wanted a game. I should, maybe I shouldn't say ever. Since I've been around, though, I mean, the energy in that stadium that night, it was – I was there in 2007. Of course, we're going back some years now uh, when they beat LSU. And I – with that game, it was just kind of, you know, they were trying to pull an upset. With this game, I felt like they were like, man, it's time to beat Florida here. They've been close yeah. for the last few years. This is not – I mean, at the time, it was still perceived to be a pretty good Florida team, but a beatable Florida team with kind of where UK was. And uh, they really kind of willed themselves to that one. But I thought – I thought the LSU game, I mean, played clean from what I remember, forced the turnover right off the start, scored on fourth and goal. Um, to be up 35-7 – against a big-name SEC program, a program that two years ago just won the national championship, I thought that was a real statement for the team this year. Yeah, I agree with that. Play of the year, I will go back to the game you were talking about, the Florida game. And the way I wanted to try to do this one, because there were some great plays. I mean, that's how it is in any season. Hell, in terms of memorable plays, what Levis did the hurdle against Louisville is something that you've already seen on social media a lot. Well, in my context, what I wanted to use was something that 20 years from now, what's the play people might talk about from this season? And I don't think there's any doubt. It was a block kick and 76-yard and touchdown return by Trevin Wallace. That play will live on, I think, forever for UK fans. Yeah, They don't win that game without that play, yeah. I don't think. Like, that's what gave them the lead, and then they never lost the lead after that. That That's definitely – the play of the year for sure. Just and that was the loudest I'd ever heard Kroger Field. Honestly, Shake was when as, as he was running that ball back, it, it falls. You couldn't have had a better person on the field for the ball to fall into their hands than Trevin Wallace. I mean, Wallace is quick enough and explosive enough to to run it back, and you see the fans reacting in different angles on TV and then Tom Leach's call on the radio. I'd put a second play up there though. I'd put Wandell's touchdown there early in the game. Uh, as like a, an honorable mention, top play of the year because that was one that really got Kentucky going as well. They had to answer; they were they were trailing, and then uh, he kind of shifted field. He got a great block from Smoke, and that was an exciting play. But you got to go the block field goal for the play of the year. Yeah, who knows I, though? Maybe they'll maybe they'll have one in the bowl game that kind of beats it. I don't know, but it'd be hard. They could. Yeah, in terms of what it meant, I, I think it'll be hard to surpass it. But I agree with you for sure on Wandell. Kind of interesting that I think the two. Uh, the two plays you could really consider happen in the same game. So let's go to uh, probably probably two. Well, maybe any of them if you really wanted to. You could have a case for what do you think was the toughest loss for Kentucky this season? They only had three, which is good. You only have three to choose from. But what would you say was was the one that maybe hurt the most? Tennessee for sure, because that that was one. If if they win that one. They're ten and two. Uh, New Year's six is on the table, and anytime you lose to Tennessee, it just it feels like gut wrenching. Honestly, just because they always lose in heartbreaking fashion. I mean, a, a game where they go crazy on offense and then they can't stop Tennessee. Tennessee barely runs any plays and still puts up forty plus points. But 
you could go with that one, and I think you could also go with Mississippi State as well, just because that one just felt so deflating at the time it happened. Coming off a of bye week, you had high hopes that they were going to finally play well following a bye week and then kind of end that losing streak in Starkville. And it came down to it, right? Like the two things that's kind of been their kryptonite outside of Florida series was what kept them from getting 10 wins in the regular season. They, they can't win in Starkville, and then they, they struggle with Tennessee. Yeah, I agree on Tennessee. It's the one I chose as well. Um, it's it's in, incredible, but two times under Stoops, they've gained 600-plus yards of offense and lost both games to Tennessee. But that was definitely the ultimate case and, you know, time of possession not meaning much because Tennessee just did not need many plays to score a lot of points. And I thought that was a real um, – I think anytime Stoops, you know, needs to feel motivated to improve the defense, that's the game he needs to go back to because the offense did more than enough. Yeah, Will Levis' pick six was a big deal in that game. Anytime you're in a close game and, you know, there's a defensive touchdown, that's a big deal. But the offense put up 42 points that game. I mean, that was with a defensive head coach and a, and a team that's prided itself on defense over the years, that was a tough one to swallow. And then you add in one of your biggest rivals. Um, they definitely, it definitely was tough. Um, Mississippi State was, you know, I think it has a case, but Mississippi State, you know, turned out to be a pretty good team. They they had a weird year, lost some close games. You wouldn't really expect them to loss to lose. I mean, and then they pulled some pretty big wins off. So that was just a weird night. I mean, whenever you turn the ball over like that, I didn't. It didn't sting. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like it. The the Tennessee loss was heartbreaking. The Mississippi State loss just like basically pissed everybody off because they didn't play well. And when you don't play well, it just aggravates you. Georgia, I think most people, probably ninety nine percent of the fan base didn't expect to win that game. Um, and the way it played out, you know, I mean, really up until Alabama crushed Georgia, we we were viewing that Georgia defense. You know, what for what Kentucky did against them, it was pretty good. Uh, of course, they don't have Alabama personnel, and and what Bryce Young just did against those guys is pretty incredible. My scenario's in play, by the way. Remember when I said a few weeks ago that Alabama would win the title, SEC title game, and then Georgia would win the national title game? I think that's so, what's like, going to happen. It's it's there. Like, it's definitely there. Uh, last I question. I did take Alabama money line last weekend, though. I was Ooh. like, there's no way that I can get this value ever again. Oh, no, no. I'll be curious what that line will be if they do have a rematch. Um, Me too. Another, another neutral field game, but it won't be in Atlanta. I don't think is I don't think the national title is down there again. No, know. it's an Indy. Oh yeah, yeah that's right. It is it's an Indy this weekend or this weekend this year. Last question I got for you. We'll we'll wrap this thing up. Um, give me a letter grade right here on the UK football regular season overall. What would you rate it? This might seem harsh because they've not won nine games in a regular season very many times, and I'm going to go B plus, which is still a really good grade. But I just – that Tennessee game kind of hangs over it. I would have gone an A if they would have won the Tennessee game or if they even if they'd won the Mississippi State game. Had they got the 10 wins, I'd have given them an A. But I'll go B plus. And, and that's a good thing, right? Because that obviously means that I still think mm-hmm. that there's more there for the program. If, if they had went – if they had won 10 games, though, I think it would have been hard to give anything outside of an A. But I'll go B plus because, to me, you can't give an A when there's a three-game losing streak in your season. Yeah, I think that's I think it's fair. I would I would probably that's probably about where I would land on it. Because I think you can look at it two ways. 
you can look at it in the historic context of Kentucky football, you would probably need to give it an A, right? Because <laughs> yeah. they have a chance against Iowa to win double-digit games for only the fourth time ever uh, yeah. in program history. And then that B-plus to me becomes an A. If they win the bowl game, then I give it an A for the overall body. But for regular season, I'll do B-plus. Yeah, that's where I would that's where I would land too. Um, but the schedule also set up in a way, and I think you've seen a f- opposing fan bases do it. Like you could be pretty critical of this non-win season for UK because I think Chattanooga was the only team that they beat that ended up with the winning record. So you can look at it and say, well, you know, they beat Florida, they beat LSU, but these teams were down this year. They both fired their coaches uh, during the season, and. It didn't mean as much as what you might have thought preseason. Um, and to, to a point, that's fair, I think. But at the same time, you can't – you just can't be that critical uh, of a U.K. football season that ends in nine wins. And I'm with you. You know, there was they, – they could have won 11. I think they had the talent to win 11, but it didn't happen. Uh, and I'm not going to crush them too much because of that. So I'll probably land in the B, B-plus range as well with the chance to, to certainly get up. You can't complain about 10 wins. And if, you know, you finish the season on a high note, we'll see how signing day goes next week, and we'll see how, how the transfers and the roster makes up. But I think there will be a lot of uh, win or lose against Iowa. I think there's going to be uh, a lot of excitement going into the spring. They're, they're going to win the offseason like they always do. Uh, I, I think that that's, this is a program that's going to consistently – put itself in position to have a very successful January through July. Uh, But they're also winning the regular seasons too. Like it's not something that, I mean, they're, they're doing well, Derek. This is a program that's in a really good spot right now, uh, regardless of what happens in this bowl game. Yeah. Beat Florida, beat Louisville this year, beat LSU. They would have beat Tennessee. Hell, it might've been an A plus, but uh, (laughs) it's not how it worked out, but yeah, chance to get to 10 wins. So I thought that was a fun little thing to do right there to, to wrap up. Cause I don't know. I mean, football, I don't know how much more football, I guess, you know, next week we'll do a signing day episode, but I think in general, it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty quiet on the football side of things. People, people really won't be announcing if they're coming back or not until after the bowl game. So no, we'll, we'll hit transfer portal talk and all that stuff that we typically do and, and everything. But for the most part, this thing's going to get, get basketball heavy probably the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it will be. Well, Sean, that was, that was a good episode. You want to take us home? Yeah. As always, the show is powered by blue wire pods and we will get to a mailbag episode very, very soon, Derek, if you want to go ahead and we'll, let's just say post Notre Dame, we'll do like a recap mm-hmm. and everything of what happens, but then we'll get into next week. We'll have a full week. We'll get a mailbag episode up and then we'll move uh, throughout signing day and everything else. Uh, as always, powered by Blue Wire Pods, powered by the Butcher's Pub, three locations, Palmville, Williamsburg, London. You can visit the butcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily.